I was out, uh, had my son and three men that was working for us, uh, fishing. And I walked away for what I thought was 20 minutes and came back four hours later. And these balls of fire, 50 foot balls of fire came out of the sky and took me away. And they brought me back. I had no more Crohn's disease. So that was when it all started. This is Meredith For Real, The Curious Introvert, and I'm Meredith. Here we explore the nuanced, less obvious, and paradoxical aspects of society. I like to say a bear is okay, a tricycle's cool, but a bear on a tricycle? Now that's interesting. Add a dash of taboo and we're there. These are the conversations you thought you'd never get to have. Each episode is different, so bring your ADD and your earbuds and have a look around. This week is another bear on a tricycle, a person with what most of society would consider aspects of themselves that are completely incompatible, a Christian faith and a UFO belief. And even more paradoxically, he doesn't consider himself a part of the UFO community despite being an experiencer. In this conversation, he shares how both the faith community and UFO community rejected him, but top scientists at NASA and the CIA have accepted him. He also shares examples of miraculous healing, UFO abduction, metal dripping orbs, and at the end, the divine feminine. This conversation took some interesting turns, and it will really leave you thinking about why we have a societal line drawn in the sand between faith and phenomenon. And if you end up liking this episode, you'll also like the one I did with Dr. Diana Walsh-Pasulka about the intersection of technology, religion, and UFOs. And that's episode 148. And last, if you've enjoyed a couple episodes of this show, it would be so awesome if you could tap some of those stars on the Apple Podcast app. I know leaving a full review can feel like an essay assignment that you didn't ask for. <laughs> so don't worry. Just leaving a star rating helps a ton. All right, friends, keep it curious. Regardless of your religious tradition, you've likely heard tales of angels bringing messages of hope, warnings of danger, comfort, and even healing. Outside of a religious context, you've also probably heard tales of UFOs, spirits, and aliens. But what if those two things are less disassociated than we previously thought? My next guest is considered the most credible experiencer in the world of phenomenon. Someone whose experiences have been studied by NASA, the CIA, academics, and the Defense Intelligence Agency. Additionally, he is set apart from many other experiencers in that he is a deeply religious man who continues to experience rejection and judgment from his spiritual community for sharing his message. But what others have labeled separate from God, he believes is connected. And today he's going to share his insight of faith and phenomenon as we ask the question, are aliens really angels? Family man, believer, experiencer, Chris Bledsoe. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm honored to be here as well. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I know you're very picky about what kind of shows you interact with. So on behalf of me and all of my curiositors, we are so grateful that you could bring this important topic, this paradoxical topic to, to the show. Now, I want to ask you before your first experience that you had in 2007, what was your take on UFOs, aliens, phenomenon, all of that? Well, I never really thought about it. I wasn't that big into it at all because I was initial experience happened in 2007. I was 45 years old then and married with four children and a home builder and building 100 homes a year. So raising kids and building houses and warranting houses left no room in my thought process about such. I was in the church big time, a deacon in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. Was raised in the Baptist church and married a Pentecostal girl. You married Still, the, the preacher's daughter, not just any girl. I'm 40 years later. I'm still married to her and will never leave. Just, I mean, it's, that's been my life. So I wasn't into it at all. So what happened in 2007? Well, I want to go back to briefly to 2001 when 
everybody knows the economy crashed completely by 08, but it was crashing before then. What happened was the World Trade Center disaster caught me off guard. Nobody knew that was going to happen, right? And I had 72 houses under construction and we were selling a whole lot of homes. And so I've just had too much under construction when that disaster happened. Living in a military town, they just shut down people buying homes. Basically, they told them, don't buy. You don't know where you're going to be. And so I watched a slow motion train wreck happen. Interest rates were 8%. And long story short, I had everything I ever owned and life savings and all was dwindling away. And I watched it happen over a course of four years, five years. And I was sick. I had Crohn's disease, inflamed bowel, if you understand what that means. And that's one of the worst debilitating things and, and stress makes it worse. So I'm basically completely disabled, hardly could get out of bed, couldn't work, had gone through a near-death experience in 04. And that's the reason we sold the business. And I was out at the end of my rope crying out to God, whoever, you know. Whoever is up there, please help me. What do I do? I, I'm going to have to put my kids on free school lunches. I couldn't even afford, you know, living in a million-dollar home with a pool in the back on a country club for 20 years. We worked, and it all went away. So long story short, I wanted the audience to understand where I was mentally and physically. I was very sick. I was ready to end this life here. Uh, I mean, I never attempted that, but I thought I had these thoughts I didn't like. And so I was calling on what I was raised to believe in, which was God. And when I did, uh, and in my book, you can read the details. You above God is the name of my book. I, um, I was out, uh, had my son and three men that was working for us, uh, fishing. And I walked away for what I thought was 20 minutes and came back four hours later. And these balls of fire, 50 foot balls of fire came out of the sky and took me away and they brought me back. I had no more Crohn's disease. So that was when it all started and it never quit. It never left. It's still here. It followed me home and it's here in a greater way than anybody can imagine here today. So you believe that during that missing time that you were abducted or do you think something else happened? No, no, I was, I was gone. It was a manhunt. Four people were looking for me. And if you understood where I was, I was on a two rut dirt road in the middle of nowhere on the Cape Fear River. And there's only one way in and one way out and, and farmland and stuff. And so as I, I walked up that little dirt road and I got up to the field. I wouldn't even meant the highway. I was still in, in the back of a big field. And they took my truck. They went on foot. And they looked until they exhausted all effort. And I came walking back four hours later thinking 20 minutes had passed. And it was a whole lot longer. And, and everybody there was frightened beyond measure. They all saw it. When I came back, here comes the orbs back. Three 40-foot balls of glowing white light landed 75 yards from us and that's when pandemonium set in and we left up out of there down in a river bottom muddy dirt road and when we got up to the field you know where we came in still got across the field to 300 yards to the highway but the same three balls of light these big orange glowing i called them setting suns were still in the same place there were three behind us on the river and there's three in front of us and one the one that took me is now on the road between us and the highway so we couldn't go forward we couldn't go back and you would have never heard you couldn't imagine what was going on in our truck as we felt trapped there and these grown men they were crying they uh, you know i wasn't afraid anymore was the weird thing but it was quite a it was quite a, a, a something i mean it was incredible fear and terror that they all went through along with myself. After that happened, you shared your story, and that's when you got a lot of the backlash from your spiritual community. What was their reaction? Why was it so negative? 
Well, you got to realize the um, the sixteen years ago was a different story than it is today. She, uh, today, people are more in tune with. There's really probably something out there. At least the average person is is now beginning to believe that. But the church community, for whatever reason, and, and it's all it's, it's it's crazy. For whatever reason, they teach people that if there's a light in the sky, it's the devil. How crazy is that? Christians tend to give the devil too much power and think everything that they don't understand is the devil, right? So I come home talking about a healing. I was healed from Crohn's. I had no more Crohn's disease from the very next morning. And 17 years later, and I was on, I was on heavy medication for 17 and a half years, unable to work unable to function. I'd get out of bed and get up and I was in the restroom. I'd try to drive to work. I'd get a mile down the street. I'm back at home in the restroom and bedridden for two years there at the worst point. And it all went away. So I came home telling I was praying and these lights came out of the sky and took the crones away. Oh, you're playing with the devil. And so immediately the whole community, the church community on all sides, my mother still Three days a week goes to church. She's in the Baptist church. My wife and her family, they go to the Pentecostal church. And they're a whole lot more strict, right? Pentecostals are very strict, like <laughs> Church of God. Yeah. And there's no telling them anything mm -hmm. at all. So they ostracized me, and it got to where they were getting in between me and my wife and my children. Telling their, my children, my little girl was 10 years old, three boys, 13, 15, and 16, 17. And they're telling them that your dad's playing with the devil. They came to my home with holy water, sprinkling, and not, not just one church, but several. And so it, it turned into what I thought was the greatest thing in the world. I admit something from heaven. I was praying. I was crying. I was a broken man at the bottom of my life, ready to give up, crying out to God. And the, and the devil came, you know? Why am I even praying? If prayer brings the devil, why am I doing that, <laughs> right? Why does anybody, right? So I never wavered. I took the beating. When it got so bad that my children were, were crying, coming home from school, crying every day, it infuriated me, and it's been a hard battle. It's been a very long battle. But the minute I reported it in 2007, it was in October. I didn't for 10 months. Under threat, I'd lose my family. I thought I'd have a divorce. And, it, I mean, I was being threatened. And so I stayed as quiet as I could for 10 months. And after 10 months, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to report it, and I did, and that was where all of it got worse because this organization called MUPON, which is a mutual UFO reporting network, I reached out to them to have somebody to talk to what, what happened to me. And they were like, let's make, a, let's make a Discovery Channel show. We'll vindicate you with your community. They convinced me that of that within two weeks after coming to my home to investigate. That was the worst thing because it suddenly they, they made me out to look like a liar. It turned my children into a laughing stock. When they'd go to school, they'd come home crying because the teachers called them out in front of the class. Tell your story. All the kids would laugh at them in the hallways of the school. And it brought our family because my children were seeing it with me at home. My wife, too. There was no getting away from it. Anybody that comes here sees it. Most everybody. You know, I was up in Chapel Hill Saturday night and, and 70, 60 or 70 people were there and witnessed it with me. And I mean, 40 and 50 feet away. So it got the attention of the government, NASA, and they never left. They're still here. All these organizations, the DOD, the DIA, one of the senior leaders of the DIA, SES-19, is a lady. Some of the highest ranking people there brought her family and her children, her husband and her mama come all the way from, I think it was France, to meet us and came here. And all of them were blown away. They couldn't believe it, what they were seeing. 
How did that uh, involvement of government agencies bring validation for you and your family and how the community viewed you? Well, I have to give credit to the government or to certain individuals there. And if you read my book, you'll see that it's unheard of, right? But the forward on my book is written by the director of operations for the Central Intelligence Agency. For the, the introductions written by one of the, uh, the highest ranking people in the government when it comes to paranormal research, Colonel John B. Alexander, and many other government officials. But they knew by studying this with me, immediately they came. Several guys from NASA got involved with me, and what they did was amazing. They felt sorry for my children. They felt sorry for all of us. And my, my good friend, Dr. Hal Pavenmeyer from NASA, walked to my mother and dad's house next door when I didn't know it, flipped his badges out and said, you've got to listen to your son. He is telling you the truth. I'm from NASA. See here? They vindicated me with the community, with my close-knit family. Of course, not the neighbor five miles down the road, but everybody <laughs> in my circle, basically, they, they got them off of my back, you might say. But there's still church members to this day that, that shun me. I can walk in the room and they'll turn their back and walk away. Well, that's why I really appreciate your story, because there's so much contrast within it within who you are, your belief system, the experiences that you've had. Even I, I, I loved your book, and there's so much there. People really have to read it because your life story could be its own book outside of the phenomenon. But I love the contrast of the scientific involvement, the government involvement, the, you know, the, the instruments that have been brought by professionals on your property and even off your property, where you've been on other locations to study your brainwaves, to study the phenomenon, to record the phenomenon. I, I, I read a quote in your book about how in the past, when things like this happened, and certainly Dr. Diana Pasulka talks about this in her book, um, American Cosmic, that people viewed lights in the sky as gods and goddesses. And now we view it as technologies but you don't view it as technologies. No, well, because the creator made all technology. So it's not uncommon to, to, if you think about it, if you look at the body, the human body on a molecular level, it's all machines. And this is new science. It's about 10 years ago, it really started coming forward. You don't hear the mainstream talking about this because it blows the theory of evolution completely out the window. Some of the greatest scientists are changing their thoughts on this because when you see the little machines in your body working together and turning on and off and helping its friend, you know, duplicate DNA and all this kind of stuff, it's a new world come. Mm -hmm. There's a whole new world. So the creator, whoever made the human body can surely has created the process of technology for us to discover, right? And so, you know, that doesn't bother me. It took me a long time to realize that because it messed with my faith for a while. Yeah. How did this technology compare to, you know, what I was taught growing up? And it come full circle completely. So, Well, what keeps other people I, in the faith community from also adjusting their perspective on their beliefs? What keeps them so rigid that anything unknown, anything not labeled with the correct jargon is demonic? Because they've been lied to. It's been washed away for 2,000 years. Our church, I think, has decided they want to keep control over our what we believe. It's a common thing to see in the news. They want to control our belief system. They want, they want to to control the way we think and the way we worship and, and so on. So, yeah, why not scare people into something they don't want you involved in? But if you were on my property or I was at your house and I stood out beside you and said a prayer and asked the Holy Spirit to reveal her, her presence to us and suddenly these balls of light comes out of the sky, you would understand real quick, really quick. It would change your whole life. 
completely. And I've done that. I've helped facilitate that with hundreds and hundreds of people. And so the proof is in the, the evidence. I have more evidence, data, recorded data than probably anybody. Anyway, you really do have a ton. I watched your episode of Beyond Skinwalker Ranch on the History Channel, and I was blown away by, first of all, that it was like the orbs showed up on cue. And I know that's not new for you, but, you know, (laughs) I was impressed. I was like, are the orbs paid actors? This is crazy. And then what really additionally impressed me was the EEG results, the neurotechnology that the it was like a doctor, a researcher and like a neuroscientist or something. And that they studied your brainwaves while you were observing, communicating with the orbs. And they said that it was right in line with people who meditate for years, like Buddhist monks, that the level of activity in your brain. I don't know all the technicalities of it, but I thought that, wow, that's so interesting because you don't even claim to be a meditator. (laughs) No, I don't really do that. I guess I do in my own way, uh, but I've never done any protocol or been to any classes about it. Uh, But what it is, I, I really believe when they took me for four hours in 2007, they did something to what they did. They're trying to still figure out, the government is, and scientists are. And everybody's going to see a lot more of that this season. There's more to come, more television on that, on study, study in my brain. And now my daughter, she's going to be a part this year. They want to go into my family and see if my kids had the same thing because they're able to see the phenomenon just like I am. I'm glad you brought right. up your daughter because I had a question about that. In the book, you record an incident where I think your daughter was on the porch and she saw the orbs and then called to you or or called to a a group of you, maybe your son also, and y'all were all out on the porch together. And you said in the book, Emily is here first, so she needs to stay with the orb while we go get your wife or something like that. So I wanted to know, are there rules with the orbs? Is there certain patterns of interaction? Well, what I can tell you definitely, this comes from nearly 17 years, you know, January will be 17 years of intense study with some of the brightest minds in the world. I can tell you that the the phenomenon will attach itself to certain people and will allow you to see it and nobody else. It's the most elusive thing in the world. And for whatever reason, it'll pick certain people. Well, it did my children. Is it genetic? We don't know. But I knew from the very beginning when my daughter was just 10 years old, when I came home telling this story, my wife was frightened tremendously from her belief, right? And that's okay. That's just part of life. And I understood that. And that's why she didn't want me talking about it. Because she being the mother, she's scared for our children, right? And that's all she cared about. So she was protecting them from dad and whatever he's dealing with right and that was coming from the church that's when the first problems for me and the the vision started and so but i knew right away because she would not tell her mom but she was telling me that she was seeing figures in her room shadowy tall figures some little short and some big and tall and she was drawing them I have her drawings she was making way back then. So secretly, my mm. kids were talking to me and all into me. And mom being the the principal and the the you know the person in charge, she'd come in and catch them and, and whisk them right out of the room. You can't be talking about that. Y'all do not need to talk about that. So that was the first year until I reported it. And when I did... And my wife began to see it with me. She thought it was as demonic for the longest time. And now they all know different. Well, the so. orbs, you can, I think an outsider would definitely associate balls of light with something heavenly, especially it comes from the sky. Shadowy figures right. in your bedroom. I could kind of see where that would be spooky. <laughs> 
But you've yeah. experienced other types of phenomenon other than shadowy figures and balls of light, Why? correct? Why? A lot. Yeah. She's in the book, Sharon. She had stage four lung cancer. Her blood wasn't receiving the chemo treatment right. Her platelets were wrong. They didn't give her much chance to live. And so she got in touch with me and asked me, because she was going in for a scan on Monday to get more bad news, right? She calls me and says, can I come? I just want you to, to pray for me. And I'm, I said, come. She came from two hours away, Kenton, North Carolina. Bring your girlfriends, whoever you want, and come to my home Friday night. So happened to be three Native American friends of mine, which I'm, I was raised in and around the Tuscarora tribe. It's right here. And so I've, I've been friends with them all my life and great friends work together. And these guys called me and said, can we come visit? We want to see some orbs. I'm like, absolutely. Perfect night because I have a friend coming that needs to be prayed for. So you'll hear these Native Americans standing around this famous burning tree that caught fire in my yard. And I write about it in the book. Diana Pasolka was involved in that part. I mean, in a, in a roundabout way. But they're singing their prayer, which none of us understood because it's a native, right? And so we're standing back watching. And everybody had been seeing orbs all night. Everybody. I mean, they'll appear right in front of you, ground level, 10, 20 feet away. Some will be biggest beach balls or whatever. And then they go out. Or they fly over and flash and so on. Well, about this time, the lady beside me on my right, she has her cell phone out and she's filming the natives. I'm standing next to Sharon. So this orb appears on camera and approaches us like all they're rotating. It got about six foot from me in front of me and stopped for a second. And then it didn't go out. It's still spinning. And you can see it in the video. It flashes. Just a bright flash. And when it did, out steps a being that's glowing white between six and seven feet tall. I have it on video. You can see it. And it just kind of dims back out. But now you can see the orb inside this tall, translucent figure. So the flash brought it out of the orb energetically into our space. And then it becomes translucent. It moves to my left, right, and straight in front of Sharon. Monday morning, she goes in for her scan and her cancer's gone. What? All but one tiny little speck. Wow. Yeah. So, so this is, this is what's happening. So healings, orbs, shadowy figures, and angelic type figures, all exactly. this. And you, you don't really consider yourself a part of the UFO community. I think people would find that surprising. No, I, I, you know, and there's a reason for that, because when NASA came early on, they came in 2008, the first scientist that came to my house was NASA. And what they did was they told me right straight. In, in fact, Tim Taylor, which Diana writes about, I introduced Diana to Tim Taylor. Tim was investigating me. And it was he and even Dr. Pavan Meyer and others that said, look, this is what they told me. Tim told me this. Tim Taylor told me. He said, Chris, 95%. We know this. That's why you never see us in and around UFO events. 95% of everything you see or hear is fake. 95%. He said, there's 5% of it that's real. And if it hits YouTube, it disappears somehow. The real videos that are out there kind of disappear. He said, so I would suggests if you want to be let in on some things and understand what's happening with you, we'd like to study with you, but we want you to stay away from any UFO world because it will, it, we've seen it so many times where, you know, people see a light and all of a sudden they're influenced by this one or that one. And they take on each other's experiences and they create all this imagination in their mind of what they're they know what it is. They've never seen a thing other than a light, but they suddenly know it's a Octurian or a Pleiadian or a Galactic Federation. These NASA scientists laugh at that. And so early on, I was asked to not be involved. And we want your experience yours. Don't listen to nobody else. 
and we'll work with you. And that's what I've done for the last 16 and a half years. I stayed away. And I do go once in a while when asked to, to but I, I'm by myself most of the time. Yeah. I well, don't get involved. Tim Taylor, in your book, you talk about how he gave a presentation to your family on a laptop, which in my mind's eye, I just thought that was the sweetest moment because it was, if I remember the timeline correctly, it was when you were really struggling with, you know, disclosing your story and your community. And in the book, what he shared was described as extensive and detailed, leaving very little lingering uncertainty. So I wanted to ask you, now that the David Grush disclosure has come out, was there any overlap in what David Grush has been saying and what Tim Taylor shared with you all those years ago? Honestly, I didn't listen to him. Even though I'm very good friends with his superiors that work with them, they study me and I've been to their homes. I've made it my life to stay away from anything outside of my world. And if they're, if what he's saying is true, then show us the evidence. Talk is talk. I'm putting forth the evidence. I have it. We're hearing stuff 40 years, 50, 70 years ago, and that's been the whole UFO community. It'll go in, 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 in waves that you'll see it die out and there's nothing happening. And then somebody brings up this document from 1954 or <laughs> 49 and the whole conversation is about this again. And, and, and all the while I'm out interacting, sharing it with people and documenting it. And this UFO world's hung up in 1950 or 47. <laughs> right? So that's a really interesting thing. I hadn't really considered, you know, I definitely can see the contrast between your vantage point and the UFO community's vantage point, but I never considered the timeline vantage point difference. That's really fascinating. When you have so many government people interested in not just the story that happened, the thing in the past, since we're talking about past, present, and future, but they are also interested in what's happening with you right now. But I mean, on one hand, I, I kind of see why they'd be interested. But if on the other hand, I'm just not really sure. Like, have they told you, hey, Chris, we're we the government or governments, world governments, not just the U.S. government. We are interested in what is happening around you because blank. Well, I really don't know their motives, but I do know that the UFO secret was been the most top secret subject on earth, far exceeding the atomic bomb. I'm telling you this, and I heard that straight from the highest authorities. It's always been the most top secret thing out there. And they're starting to turn loose some of the secret, but they don't know. It's conscience-based. They do know that. The government has come to that conclusion. They know it's conscience-based and that it's in total control, that it can manipulate what we see. For example, for the UFO world, go back into the 1700s and 1600s, everybody was seeing sailing ships. A white glowing mayflower in the air with the sails and all and an anchor and one incident fell out come out and snagged a chimney in england and tore the top of the chimney off it was a it was a physical mayflower then along about 1947 kenneth arnold reports seeing these little chevrons right he drew them out they looked like a bat wing there were a half a dozen of them and they were just kind of flitting around and the flashing, right? And he could see it. But he just said the way they moved was like a, a saucer if you skipped it on the pond. Well, suddenly the news says flying saucers, right? And what happens? The next 40 years, everybody's reporting flying saucers. That went away. Where'd that go? Then comes the triangles. So for through the 80s and 90s, early 90s, everybody's seeing triangles, you know, the Belgium wave and all this and just triangles. And then suddenly that goes away because Chris comes along and says, I saw these balls of fire. I wouldn't call them flying saucers. I wouldn't call them UFOs, which I did some, but basically I coined the term orb. I use that term. And now everybody sees orbs, you see. 
So the phenomenon's in control of what we, that they, they're controlling our, I think they can wirelessly change your DNA and upgrade us and can make us smarter. They give us a little bit of technology, like this metal, this metal material. We get it, it isn't by accident. They give it to us. And what I can tell you is I've been studied with that stuff a lot, and I'm about to be again soon. And When you this, say stuff, you're talking about the metal, metal material? Yeah, metal material. Can yeah. you tell me more about that? Because I remember reading about that, especially something with Luis Elizondo. But for our listeners, they aren't up to speed. Well, Luis Elizondo is a friend of mine, and he has metal material that it was me that got it for. I got this metal for, for Tom DeLon and Lou Elizondo. They probably got a few pieces on their own, but what they got of mine, I had some. And it's metal. It looks like if you took solder and you were melting solder and it drips, that's what it looks like. It comes off these orbs dripping metal. Oh, wow. the metal comes from the orbs. Yeah. It's like a byproduct yeah, the, of them. Right. And drips wow. on concrete. Well, I had a whole bunch of it, three or four pieces, and they all got it. I don't have any more. I wish I did because I was told if I had another piece, it'd be worth a billion dollars. But I got a nice little letter saying, sorry, the U.S. government, the military took this stuff and classified it. And there's no getting it back. Just chalk it up for research. And I'm like, okay. But I, that metal has fundamentally changed parts of our medical industry. Without going too deep into that, they use it, a lot of it. Tim Taylor does. He has 50 patents or more. And most all of them are medical patents, and it derives from this material, the magic properties of it. Hmm. So you think part of the phenomenon's relationship with us is imparting tiny pieces of technology for us to figure out and kind of run with? Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. It's not a mistake, and um, this is coming from the top. You know, people talk about crashed machines. We got these crashed machines. Well, show us the crashed machines. If you got them, you know, nobody's going to believe them until they show it. Then it needs to be a lot of study involved, you know, not saying that they would fake something. But I can tell you that Taylor told me, he said, Chris, one of the pieces of metals we were studying had the isotopes rate of decay at 50 million light years away, meaning that metal came from 50 million light years to Earth. Wow. And he said, you think that they crash? They come that far? They don't crash. He said it was a gift. Hey, Curiositors, just a quick pause to show gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. It's that time of year for front porch pumpkins and football barbecues, but here in the southern U.S., mosquitoes can still be an unwanted part of the equation. I've been using Insects Mosquito Service since 2019, and I love that they guarantee their work. And pollinators are always top of mind. Don't wait to get on their schedule. If you're in the Florida Panhandle or the Gulf Coast of Alabama, give Insect a call, E-N-S-E-C this time of year is my favorite time to travel, but just because the weather is cooler doesn't mean the need for hydration is not a thing. My husband and I have been using Liquid IV since 2019, and we love it as our airplane travel companion. We don't have to pack extra bulky drinks and certainly don't have to pay extra at the airport for them. Instead, we just bring a little packet that we can easily put in a water bottle and it has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. I recommend the strawberry lemonade flavor. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code CURIOUS at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code CURIOUS at liquidiv.com. Don't pick another boring venue for your next work event. Check out one of the Pensacola Historic Trust's 12 museums. If you watch the show on YouTube, you see the beautiful backdrop of Trader John's, the exhibit where I record the show inside the Pensacola Museum of History. 
Booking an event with the Trust will not just be memorable for your guests, it will support the efforts to keep Pensacola's historic charm preserved. And if you're planning a trip here and need an indoor activity option, pick up a ticket in person so you can show the agent one of my emails and get $2 off an adult ticket. Learn more at historicpensacola.org. Now back to the show. Remember to stay till the end where I give you a sneak peek of next week's episode. And when you said, I want to go back to what you said about conscious-based and upgrading, you're referring to these beings wanting us to upgrade our consciousness. What does that, what what do you think that might look like? Well, let's look at this. When I was a little fella, I grew up listening to the Grand Ole Opry, right? That was living in North Carolina in the country. We had one little TV and at the time, uh, I listened through the window because there wasn't room in the little dining den, and we lived next door to my grandma's. But one of the things that was a common conversation growing up, and to a lot of teenagers and young people, is music. We all love music, right? Back in the day, there was a great big, always a challenge of who is the best guitarist? Is it Chet Atkins? Is it Roy Clark, or is it Stevie Ray Vaughan, or was it, you know, B.B. King? And they played all their life to get to that title. Well, now we have three and four-year-olds born that can play Mozart-level music and far exceed those earlier people that come along doing it. They're born with it. Where does it come from? And kids are smarter today way smarter. And it's not the internet that's causing that. It's just they're born further evolved. And I say that because they think they're looking into the brain to see, and there's hints about that certain people are starting to evolve and have capabilities from evolvement without getting too deep into this. uh, Yes. I think my hope for an upgraded collective consciousness is that people would just not be dicks i think yeah i mean the most discouraging thing about our society is the entitlement and the violence and and certainly those are the things that the media picks up most so my emotional carrying of these things is impacted by what makes those headlines even though i'm not like a a doom scroller or anything But it doesn't change the fact that even though I have no personal experience with phenomenon, that's my, I call it my kumbaya hope. And I get it. And there's a lot of worry about where the future is headed, right? And it's all being manipulated and controlled. The way people think, they're pitting people against people. You would think in, in the days of King Arthur and... King Henry and all these where they get out and they line up and they bludgeon each other with bats and swords and they line up in perfect lines and say, now you shoot and then they shoot. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. How barbaric. It's terrible. It's And it's idiotic. Yeah. Not a day. They just send a smart bomb up and it shoots out, you know, a thousand drones and it targets each person and just obliterates people and families and children and whole lives and why are they doing that who are these evil people doing this and if it's, if i have to say so there's a reason these orbs are coming there's a reason for it and i think everybody's going to be surprised remember world war ii when the food fighters were circling around the american fighters they would escort them into the battle zones and come out they kind of were bystanding and watching. But now things have changed. And so I think they're going to take a different approach this time. Well, that's the perfect segue for one of my last questions. It's about the second time that you had an encounter with the entity you call the lady. So you guys got to read Chris's book. But for, <laughs> for those listening right now, it was kind of an angelic figure that left just an incredible impact on you. And the second time that you met her, she spoke what you called a parable. And I'll read it. When the red star of 
Regalus aligns just before dawn in the gaze of the Sphinx, a new knowledge shall come into the world. Now, in your book, you said you came to later understand that around Easter of 2026, there will be an end of an old way and the beginning of a new way. So my questions are, how did you come to understand that? And any idea on what that means since the time that you wrote that book? Well, when she came, uh, she told me that. And I didn't understand it at all. I had no clue. I just, it was burned into my memory, my thoughts. And, and she told me, she said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you share this to the world. I'm going to allow you to film us and share our presence with, with the people and with Cameron and with witness. But when she told me that, I went to a, a, a literary publicist that fit those books, a literary agent, maybe is the right word, Lisa Hagen. And she called me right after I told her this, because I was working on the manuscript with her trying to, and she said, oh, my Lord, I have a lot of clients in the astrology world, so let me run this by them. And that's when it came back the dates for Easter of that year. So I had no clue when that would happen or if it was even real, if there was an alignment. And we found out that it is really going to happen. The star in Regulus is in the constellation, I think, of Leo, and it's going to appear before the sun comes up, right in the line of the gaze of the Sphinx. And that's when she said, after that, there'll be a new knowledge the world will shift. Now, does that mean the end of the world? Does that mean something bad? It, I suppose it could, but the vibe I got from her was it's going to be the end of an, an old dark way, a manly control, a paternal rule. This whole earth is ruled by men and look what they're doing. So you're Killing saying this each. is like the, the pinnacle of the end of the patriarchy and feminists everywhere where will rejoice? <laughs> That's what she told me. She said that the feminine, the divine feminine, she said there's a shift in the powers in heaven. Huh. And that women had been, and this is what she told me, that women had been oppressed and taken away, taken out of anything to do with spirituality, with church with power and it's a big boys club mm -hmm. look at them it is look at the the catholic church the women are pushed away in a convent and they wear this stuff on their face and head just like muslims do they have no power it's a boys club same way there same way most all the religions and i think that they took the lady out of it in a huge way. Look at Mary Magdalene in the Bible. They turned her into a prostitute, mm -hmm. right? And we know this because Peter, he couldn't bear her having a mm -hmm. closer relationship <laughs> with Jesus, right? Right. So they, they pushed the women out. They made them wear this stuff over their face, put them in shame. And we're just now, the, the women are rising up, climbing out of this hole. And peace is going to come. The feminine, divine feminine is coming back. And that's what she told me. And I'm just relaying the message. Yeah. To this day, when I call on her, that's when the orbs come. Oh, interesting. I really like that, that message of hope. And I did not expect it to take a turn into a discussion about the divine feminine. But yet again, Chris, that's, that's what I love about spending time with you is I just never know which direction it's it's going to go. And you have a way of relaying this information that is so genuine and authentic and, dare I say, tethered, you know, because when you talk about, in general, the ideas that we're discussing here, there's a tendency to cartoonify them, like they're a far-out thing, sci-fi movies, but when we think about them, not just as impacting our current governments, our current policies, not just having them in the mainstream, but in the next level of the, how you're communicating about them, that they impact our personal responsibility to things like how we treat one another and how we love each other. I mean, that's really something special. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about love and 
and harmony. And this world can be that way instantly. But we got to get rid of this old male-dominated warlike energy mm-hmm. that is destroying everything in this world. All that's going to go away. All this darkness and this negative stuff organically is going to be exposed and pushed out. It's in the Bible. Read it. Revelations, the last book. We win. They don't. And so that's my excitement. I don't see the world as coming to an end. I see the world as a new beginning mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm talking to them and I'm listening. We proved it on national television, right, that my brain is communicating with the orbs. And we filmed the orbs. We had scientists, four scientists there. And they were blown and away. It, they were absolutely, yeah. their reaction, it's incredible. And your Instagram account and your Ryan, your son's Instagram account, that y'all are just so freely sharing this. It's like an, a big invitation to kind of explore the topic and explore the possibilities. And yeah, like I said, it's just really something special. As we close, is there anything else that you want people to know, your hope for, for others and for the future? Well, what I would say is, of course, I want you to read my book. You can go to ufoofgod.com. And if you go there, you can see testimonials by government officials, high level. And, and you can find my Instagram account there and my social media, my Facebook. But on Instagram, you can see a couple hundred videos. I've got thousands, right? Just take a look. Read the book. And use the open mind, go to the History Channel, and you'll see that I have documented proof. You can't unsee it, right? And the, the way it came, people are writing me right now. I got up this morning. You changed my life. It was the most wonderful thing I ever saw. Uh, you know, thank you. I love you. I get this every day. So everybody be excited about a new knowledge that's coming. Get rid of the negativity. Don't listen to it. Turn it off. Don't listen. Find your happiness. Find God. Find this connection to the heaven. And I think this, you read the last words of my book, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Go out and look up and say, I'm here. And open your heart and see, you might just see something that changes your life. Well, thank you again. I really enjoyed your book. I read it cover to cover. And again, I'm so grateful that you chose to spend time with us. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate you. And anytime you want me to come back, I'm, I'm available. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, you'll also like the one I did with Dr. Diana Walsh-Pasulka about the intersection of technology, religion, and UFOs. It's episode 148. And, you know, since you made it this far, now is a great time to take a screenshot and share about this episode on social media. Be sure to tag me at Meredith For Real. Stay tuned next week when I talk with an incest survivor and mental health counselor as we ask the question, are trigger warnings helping us heal? or making us fragile.